I think the buyer acumen is typically the biggest gap, especially if you think about the fact that so many businesses consider themselves customer centric, I can probably count on one hand the amount of organizations that do that really well that I've come across over the last three years. Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence. Hey everybody, this is your host, Felix Kruger. I was recently invited to join the brilliant Malvina El Sayeh on the Stay Human podcast. We spoke about the three avenues companies can pursue to benefit from enablement, how to maximize the value of an external consultant, the most common enablement challenges I come across in my work with businesses around the world, and more. Let's dive right in. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back. So let me tell you what's happening on today's show. We often talk about enablement as really a dedicated function within startups, scale-ups, and larger organizations. But what happens when you don't have an enablement function, but you still need to enable? So to help me answer this question and much, much more, I am joined by Felix Kruger all the way from Australia to talk precisely about this topic and explore the topic of enablement as a consultancy and why certain companies turn to Felix and his company in particular for help. So what do you do if you don't have an enablement function but you still need to enable. Over the last 15 years, Felix has worked as a sales enabler, seller, and buyer with some of the recognized names in technology and online media. Today, he is the host of the State of Sales Enablements podcast, and he's the CEO of FFWD, a global sales enablement consultancy specializing in optimizing the revenue performance of SaaS, IT, and media companies. So if you're ready for today's episode, Let's dive in. Felix, welcome to the Stay Human podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about this one. I'm excited that you're joining me on today's show, particularly to dive more into the topic of sales enablement, consultancy work, and why various companies are coming to you for help. But before we get started, I would love to hear how you even fell into this. Oh, dear. I've had a really long journey in sales enablement and business in general, and I want to start off by saying I'm a massive business nerd, so I am interested in all the different facets of business, all the ins and outs. I always have the best time at dinner parties when I can talk to somebody from some sort of niche industry and I'm able to ask them all these kinds of questions about how their business works and how the industry works. So that's, that's essentially my nerdy tendency on, this, on that front. So by nature, I'm quite curious and I think Starting the sales enablement consultancy was really also a reflection of that. I essentially took what I have learned throughout my career in sales enablement and have been able to then apply that across all kinds of different industries and all kinds of different businesses and countries as well. In the very beginning of my career, I started out going to university, studying marketing communications. So the whole communications angle of sales enablement is something that I have been able to support on that front and also the ability to communicate concepts really succinctly and synthesize information and develop strategies on that front. I am, as you can tell by my accent, originally from Germany, but straight after I graduated, I moved from Germany to Australia and started working in 
several roles across IT, SaaS, and media. And one of my main gigs here in Australia was at a big media company called Fairfax Media. And I was a sales enablement person there at that time. And especially in media, it wasn't called sales enablement, but it was essentially a sales enablement role that was specifically looking after certain product categories. And we're essentially in a situation where we were looking after those categories and enabling a sales team of, I think at the time, about 150 people across Australia in allowing them to more effectively bring those to market. We were creating the content around those products. We were teaching them how to sell them. We also joined pitches and we're also quota carrying, which is also something that I still do very often. So yeah, that's right. That's right. And on top of that, there were also four other people like me looking after different product categories. So it was almost a partner enablement scenario within a business. So we we're essentially competing for the mindshare within the sales team as well, which made it even harder. So you can tell by that whole setup, I was basically given the biggest challenge you could possibly have in sales enablement in a way by having that quota and by competing against other products internally. And yeah, but I think, as I say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Learned a lot along the way. Then I also started my first business, which was with Shifty Media. It's a media company that specifically addresses senior executives around the topic of digital transformation. And we had a editorial team that spoke about all the different digital transformation trends and technology trends across industries. Then we also worked with brands specifically in SaaS and IT on teaching their sales and their marketing teams on how to more effectively those audiences and how to relate those trends back to their products that they're selling. And essentially there was also a sales enablement exercise specifically focused on the buyer acumen side of things. Yeah. And then I moved on after this business was acquired to found my current business, which is FFWD. We are a sales enablement consultancy that essentially brings sales enablement to businesses that don't have a sales enablement function or increase the capacity for businesses that already have sales enablement, but simply want to get more done. Yeah. Wow. What an interesting story. And I have to say the part about being an enablement and also carrying the quota, it's not something you come across very often, especially in the SaaS space. But seeing that, you know, this is more media, it's still quite a shocker. I think a lot of enablement individuals who are maybe tuning in and listening would say, my gosh, I can't imagine doing my job, doing everything that we do and have a quota on top. That sounds crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it is pretty crazy. I think you are essentially part of the sales team even more so. You're not a external party interacting with the sales team and with other departments. You're essentially in the same boat as them. And I think that's the biggest upside from actually assigning a quota to sales enablement. I'm not saying it's right for every business, but I think it has helped my job in a way that I was really able to empathize with the sales team and also able to really be hands-on when it came to big proposals and uh, join those pitches as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you're in a position like this, you have to be very good with time management. Because where do you dedicate the time? Do you dedicate the time on the deals and opportunities that you're working? Or do you dedicate your time for the benefit of all, right? The activities and tasks and projects that are ultimately going to influence everyone. So I think time management must have been a very strong point of yours at that time. 
Absolutely. And I think in a way I went through the transformation that a lot of businesses that I interact with now went through. I went from what you would generally consider a random act of enablement to a highly strategic approach, simply because I didn't have the resources available to apply brute force and just enable everybody in any way at any point in time. I initially was very reactive and essentially responding to any request that would land on my desk. As you said, I think that at that point in time, time management becomes a really big issue. And I, after operating like that for a long time, I realized that I can't keep on going like that, not considering the targets that I was given, but also not considering the sort of lifestyle or lifestyle unbalance I, I was dealing with working crazy hours. So what I started doing was essentially be more strategic about my approach, create the structures to automate certain things on the long tail of the sort of requests that I would receive, setting up Q&As, creating video content that can easily be accessed by the sales team, creating tools like calculators, proposal templates, and so on. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I was able to prioritize those initiatives that really made a difference to the impact that I was able to generate across the business. And I think in a way, as I said, it is a reflection of what's going on a lot of times in companies that don't have a sales enablement function. Mm. The sales leader typically always focuses on the latest issue that lands on his or her table and spends time accordingly. And I think that's not very sustainable and also doesn't provide the best foundation for revenue growth. And I'm basically reliving what I, what I was living back then in that sense, over and over again, dealing with clients. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we spoke about the software right? earlier and this entire idea or the need for sales enablement, I mean, over the past five years has just increased significantly. I think COVID has accelerated the need for enablement. Even the jobs that are listed on LinkedIn maybe wouldn't even be available should COVID not have happened, right? But I think COVID has accelerated that need for sales enablement because suddenly everyone woke up and realized that there is a need for training, that there is a need for process, that there is a need for someone to work closely with the sales team and hear their needs, their challenges, and really work with them to make them successful. So I'm interested in your line of business, and obviously you're, you're running a consultancy what are the types of companies that you tend to deal with and what are the challenges that they come to you with? Generally speaking, we deal with any business in the B2B space located between London towards the west of Australia and towards the east of Australia. Chicago is our cutoff. So essentially any part of the world that doesn't force us to get up in the middle of the night, which still happens anyway, but we try to spread our wings as wide as possible on that front. In terms of the kinds of business, there's two kinds that are most commonly interacting with us. So there are companies that are not as well resourced on a sales enablement front. So typically they don't have any sales enablement resource. Mm -hmm. They might've made some attempts internally to run a sales enablement program powered by the sales manager and sales reps. So that's what we would consider the decentralized approach. You have the sales manager deciding that sales enablement is something that makes sense for the business. And he or she allocates some time to formalize some initiatives. And then typically sales reps would then support the implementation of those initiatives. So there's a certain champions nominated looking after 
certain tasks or certain initiatives and those that are implemented. It can work with businesses that are really resourceful and really good at time management. But what we see then sooner or later is when they talk to us is that they realize that it is not a sustainable approach because the time spent on those sales enablement initiatives in that decentralized approach is essentially taken away from actually selling time. So it impacts on productivity. There might be benefits, of course, in the long run, you know, like once those structures are put in place and those sales enablement initiatives have been implemented, there will be benefits. But in the short term, especially if the business is reliant on consistent cash flow and consistent growth at the stage where they're in, it is a problem when the sales team spends extended periods of time on implementing those initiatives themselves. So that's one kind of business. In terms of the other end of the spectrum, what we will be dealing with is fast growth, well-funded businesses that do have a sales enablement team. And just simply by the fact that they have been funded and they have been growing fast, there was a realization that it makes sense to invest in sales enablement. They have done so successfully, but where they then see the shortfall is being able to implement as many initiatives as they have to in order to really make that impact on the revenue that they have to based on their revenue targets. So they simply can't get enough things done with the existing resources. And as you pointed out, there's a increased number of sales enablement roles being advertised as well. So sourcing talent is not always easy. Or sourcing quality talent anyway is not very easy these days with the demand increasing so significantly. Like in that scenario, companies would also then consider engaging external help to support the strategy development process, but also then the implementation of initiatives. And in terms of industries, typically also due to my background and my hands-on industry expertise uh, would typically be IT, SaaS, and media that we'll be dealing with. But there have been a few other industries that are also now in the mix, like construction, for example, or there's a specialist SaaS provider, for example, in the aged care space. It's still B2B and it's still SaaS, but they're kind of the more exotic industry specializations. So yeah, broadly speaking, IT, SaaS, and media, but with some exceptions. If you look at a typical engagement, are we talking about weeks? Are we talking about months? Are we talking half a year, a year? What does that typical engagement with companies look like? It really depends. So typically from a strategy development point of view, that is a process that is always more or less the same across any business, which is why we've been able to streamline that and systemize it for our clients which means that we are able to implement that much faster than it would typically be the case, no matter if it's done internally or also whether other vendors that take months and months would be engaged. And in that scenario, we'd typically be able to develop a sales enablement strategy with a roadmap of initiatives formalized within four weeks. So that would be essentially the quick starter pack, if you will, that allows businesses to then take that plan and implement it on their end. Where we are involved in the actually implementation of initiatives, there is no real time limit and it really depends on what sort of initiatives are being implemented. That can range from a few weeks, but we also have clients now that we support for several years. So it really depends on the needs. But I think the biggest benefit that we typically encounter when formalizing 
engagements is the fact that clients are able to be flexible and don't have to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in hiring somebody, but they're able to essentially use a combination of the internal resources and us to make things happen. So I think it is quite flexible. And I have to ask, when you're coming into organizations that maybe have hired a sales enablement individual or have put together some sort of a department that does enablement and you come in, are you seen as a threat or is it a happy relationship? No, it is collaborative. I mean, typically the engagement would be initiated by the sales enablement team. So it's not like the sales enablement team is operating and then the sales leader goes, oh, no, we need somebody with proper sales enablement expertise <laughs> and I come in and tell them how it's done. It's not like that. It's collaborative. If there's a sales enablement team already, it would typically be those people initiating the collaboration and we are being seen as somebody who is helping. I think the biggest challenge being an external party is just the fact that we are external and we don't have those existing relationships internally. But again, over time, we've become really good at building those relationships remotely across all the key stakeholders and really be able to communicate and do that stakeholder management piece that is so important in self-enablement and yeah, then source that information that we really need to do a good job. I think those are the kind of critical things that you need to get right if you are being engaged as an external party. But I haven't come across any hostility yet. Maybe I was just <laughs> lucky, but there wasn't any hostility yet. Uh, well, that's very good to hear. And typically when you go into these organizations and companies, what's the challenge that you see time and time again? We mentioned that obviously you have a process in mind, you work in a certain way. And I'm sure a lot of the challenges that you see are not, not unique. They're not special. You see them time and time again. What's the one challenge or one area that every company or the majority of companies need your help with? Is there something that stands out? I think it's maximizing strategic impact. I mm -hmm. think that's a issue generally. And that is also the nature of the beast. If you are in a company deal with the company on a day-to-day -day basis and you are in the thick of it. I think it is very difficult to do with somebody working full-time in a business to really take a step back and look at the things happening and really with a fresh view, understand the relationships between certain initiatives and the strategic, how you can maximize strategic value across those initiatives. I think that's generally something that I see as a challenge. The conversation might initially evolve around a certain initiative. So for example, we want to create sales playbooks or we want to teach our sales reps how to better talk to senior executives within the target market or whatever it might be. But then identifying the connections to other things that might already be in place or a simple way how this approach can be scaled and the impact can be increased, I think. Those are things that are often overlooked by people who are really under pressure and just have to be productive and don't really have the time to step back and think about things strategically. So that's, I think, just generally a challenge that I see across the businesses that I interact with. Apart from that, from a sales enablement point of view, I think the buyer acumen is typically the biggest gap, especially if you think about the fact that so many businesses consider themselves customer-centric and really want to put the customer front and center of what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. Oftentimes, 
there is a disconnect between what they aspire to be and what then is actually being practiced. And I think the buyer acumen side of things and the understanding of what drives those buyers and what sort of trends are really impacting them, especially on a macroeconomic level, this is something that became really clear throughout COVID-19. You had so many big things happening at the same time globally and so many forces impacting on different markets and also in different ways, you have to say, across different industries. Different industries have been affected in different ways and buyers really being understood and sellers being equipped with the knowledge to talk to those trends and relate them back to their buyers' businesses, the sort of business administrative impacts that you would see and that those senior decision makers would care about and also how those trends then relate back to the product that is on offer and really are able to not only on a surface level, but really in all depth, being able to communicate those impacts. I think that is something that is a really big shortfall still across many organizations. I can probably count on one hand the amount of organizations that do that really well that I've come across over the last three years. Yeah. And ultimately, it's turning those buzzwords, right? Because they have become a buzzwords that people will put on their website, you know, they will put on their LinkedIn profile, customer-centric being one of them, but it boils down to what does that actually mean and how do we actually deliver that in practice? I once had someone on the podcast and he said something that I remember till this day, and it's, you can't read the label from inside the jar. And that's oftentimes what happens in a lot of these organizations. You're so in it, you can't actually see what's happening. And absolutely, I think that's the power of maybe having that external consultant come in because he has or she has a completely fresh perspective on what's going on. That oftentimes, if you are in it day in, day out, it sometimes gets tricky to see that big picture. And to your point, what are those strategic initiatives that we should be working on? Right. Because, again, strategic initiatives, it's very easy for that to become a buzzword that will Mm. throw around in every single executive meeting. But what does that actually mean? And how is that going to, and I don't like using this term, but I will use it. How does it move the needle? What change is it going to have? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the thing that a lot of businesses are also struggling and the sort of opportunity that they're missing out on is transferring best practice from certain industries into their industry so that there are things that are being done really, really well in certain industries and really, really badly on the other hand in other industries. And that's just simply because there's no knowledge transfer happening between those industries. And I think that's also typically something that we can shed light on interacting with so many different businesses and breaking that echo chamber that you often create if you operate in one industry and you continue to hire the same sort of talent from the same sort of companies within the same niche, you often lose sight on what's possible and what's best practice in other industries. Yeah, absolutely. I think also to that, there's an element of what works somewhere isn't necessarily going to work somewhere else. And I think that's also that element of discretion that people have to have, right? Because Oftentimes you think, well, this has worked here when I was there and it was very successful. So I'm going to literally copy and paste and try to apply it to where I am now. And that sometimes does fail because you need to have that deeper understanding. And it's not necessarily always this copy and paste 
mentality or replicating a success and doing it in exactly the same way because what was successful somewhere, it's not guaranteed that it will be successful in this particular company, for example. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. If you had to give maybe a piece of advice to any company that maybe right now is toying with an idea of, should we have someone in enablement? Should we not? Should we look for a consultant and maybe potentially get some outside help? What would you say are maybe like the three things that they should be looking at or considering when making that decision? As I mentioned before, I think the DYI approach and that decentralized enablement approach is certainly something that can kickstart you. So doing that rather than doing nothing is always good. I think any sort of enablement can help if it's structured in a strategic way, even if it might take away from self-productivity in the short term. I think it really comes down to the maturity of your business and also how committed you are to making sales enablement happen. The DYA approach is the budget option. Then on the other end of the scale, you have hiring a senior sales enablement person. And then in the middle, you have essentially the vendor powered solution like FFWD. I think it really depends on how committed you are and where you're at in your sales enablement journey. I think the ultimate goal sooner or later should always be to hire a senior sales enablement leader. So I would never tell a client that they should forever rely on us, even though I would, <laughs> I would of course, uh, like them to, but I don't think that there'll be fair advice. So I think sooner or later, it always makes sense to hire a internal senior sales enablement leader. And I specifically say senior because I also think it's unfair to throw somebody with little or no sales enablement experience into this massive gig that is sales enablement and expect them to be able to align all the senior leaders across the business. So I think that investment has to be there and that commitment to the budget that is required to hire that senior person should be there in order to make that internal solution happen. So I think from my point of view, it's those three considerations. How much time, if you do it yourself, can you spare in making that DIY approach happen within your business? If you don't have that, it might be worth considering engaging an external party like FFWD. And sooner or later, once you have the budget available and are able to tap into some of the great talent that is out there, it makes sense to invest on that front and not hire a senior sales enablement leader. But yeah, I think those are the kind of three solutions that would come across and everybody should consider what's right for them. We've actually done an, a breakdown, like an objective breakdown of those three options on our website as well. So maybe we can drop that in the show notes as well. Yeah, absolutely. And what say to someone that maybe is toying with this idea of getting help from a third party, potentially it's yourself, but they're thinking, well, it's all great when Felix is around, but once Felix leaves and we're no longer working with him, how do we maintain this and keep it going? Which is often the fear that people have. Mm -hmm when they are working mm. with third parties? So we typically aim to put the structures in place and involve as many of the internal resources as possible for them to then hit the ground running if we don't continue engaging anymore. A key part of that is to establish those communication channels that keep everybody on track. So we typically recommend forming a sales enablement advisory board with all the key stakeholders across the business, including the senior executive sponsor of the sales enablement program 
And that advisory board really helps to keep everybody focused across the business on what needs to be achieved for sales enablement. It keeps everybody accountable. It helps reduce friction throughout the implementation of sales enablement initiatives in a way that people are able to share the challenges and there might be help that can be offered from other departments and so on. So I think that sales enablement advisory board is something that I always aim to establish when dealing with clients. And then also the involvement of internal resources where possible. So any sort of initiatives that we formalize with clients typically aim to involve as many of their internal resources, no matter if it's HR, no matter if it's product marketing, no matter if it's IT, whoever it might be, we involve as much as possible to then essentially help them to continue implementing different initiatives when we're away. Love that. Love that. Thank you so much. I think a lot of our listeners will find what you've said quite refreshing and also quite comforting. And ultimately, I think for all of our listeners and for everyone who's tuning in, if you can't do it internally, do seek help externally. And ultimately, it's all about getting those foundations because once you have the correct foundations, it's so easier to grow and see actually what those strategic initiatives are that you should be focusing on. But it all boils down to having that solid foundation because ultimately, without that, I mean, you can't build on top. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Felix, and also, I have to ask, you're also a podcast host. Tell us a little bit more about your podcast. Yeah, so I run a podcast called The State of Sales Enablement, and I interview sales and sales enablement leaders around the topic of sales enablement. So we typically focus on on one particular niche area of sales enablement. So any episodes should allow you to upskill on that front, especially from a strategic point of view. We also run a monthly roundup of all the things that you need to know about the sales enablement space called This Month in Sales Enablement, which I run with my co-host, Devin McDermott. Yeah, so I would highly recommend tuning in. If you're remotely interested in sales enablement, please consider subscribing. Incredible. Awesome. So I have to ask, what does the remainder of 2022 have in store for you? What are some cool and exciting things that you're working on or things that you're just looking forward to? Yeah, so I actually also related to the state of sales enablement. So we're looking to just become even more diverse in the sort of content that we produce. We already do a whole heap of social media. We produce a podcast. We create articles on our website. We just want to ramp that up and really help make an impact across the whole sales enablement space and help sales leaders and sales enablement leaders to upskill and really help form that body of knowledge that is required to make sales enablement a success. I think emerging markets is also something that I'm really excited about. There's a lot of work to be done to increase the maturity there. I think there's great opportunity for those markets and forward-thinking businesses in those markets to really make a difference by introducing sales enablement for themselves. I honestly think it's one of the most exciting spaces to be in, not only because of the subject matter itself, but also because of the collaboration that is going on in the community that you experience. And I think there's hardly any area in business where you can learn so much from your peers as you can in sales enablement and where peers are so happy to share information with others, not only locally, but as we see by us collaborating on this podcast between the UK and Australia, also globally. So I think it is a exciting space and I can't wait to get more of it. 
I couldn't agree more with you. And on that, Felix, thank you so much for coming on the Stay Human podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. Felix, thank you so much for coming on. Every single time we speak, I learned so much and it has just been an incredible conversation. So all the best with everything that you're doing. Guys, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you soon for a brand new episode. Take care. Bye. Next time on The State of Sales Enablement. I say to people that we're in the business of feelings. And as salespeople, you need to give your audience a good feeling that you are trustworthy, that they like you, that you're not trying to sell them something they don't need. And so you need all the tips and tricks, particularly the nonverbal things, to build that trust, build that likability. And that's a factor of how you show up on this camera.